this is a comparison of Joseph and Imhotep. It's an astonishing tale how Joseph went from being a slave to holding the second highest position in all of Egypt. The manner in which Joseph handled the severe seven-year famine and its ultimate political and economic repercussions on Egypt are enormously significant events that one may assume would be chronicled in historical accounts other than the biblical account found in Genesis 39 through 50. Now, a lot of what I'm about to tell you is independent research from a person named Annie. Now, I will link down the website below if you want to read this in its entirety. It's very fascinating. Now, she finds that there is evidence to suggest that Joseph played a significant role in Egyptian history as Imhotep, the renowned advisor who worked under the third dynasty pharaoh, Djoser. Scholars have drawn attention to the striking parallels between the biblical Joseph and the real-life Imhotep. Now, they took some time to realize that Djoser was also the pharaoh known as Netferitech. Also, there is debate about whether Djoser was his birth name or a name added after Imhotep made him famous. Now, according to some, the name was only given to him after his passing. Egyptian pharaohs, in any event, had a variety of names. So by the fifth dynasty, pharaohs had five names total given at birth and four given when they are anointed. The Bible frequently refers to these rulers as pharaoh, despite the fact that they were never called pharaohs before the 18th dynasty and were instead known as kings in earlier times. Now, she gives a Bible verse here, and it says that, without a doubt, this pretty much gives pretty good evidence to Joseph being Imhotep. And she follows it up in a little bit here. The Bible verse that she gives us is Genesis chapter 41, verse 40 through 44. I'm only going to read a little bit of it because it's very long. It says, And Pharaoh said unto Joseph, See, I have set over all of the land of Egypt. The Pharaoh took his ring from his hand and put it upon Joseph's hand. Now, Imhotep's position as visor is widely acknowledged. Imhotep's purported reputation and accomplishments seem to be beyond what any normal mortal could ever accomplish in their lifetime raising earlier speculation about his historical authenticity. However, his historical significance is unequivocally proven when Imhotep's name was found on the base of a statue of the pharaoh Djoser that is now on display at Imhotep's museum. But the history of Imhotep is sketchy and seems to be based on a legend. Now, according to historians, he was probably born close to Memphis, he received his education there and became well-known because he was intelligent. It is acknowledged that the name of his mother is Pure Myth from an earlier era. His father is said to be an architect named Canofer. Imhotep has a pretty murky past for a man who is so well-known. Now, the responsibilities of a visor includes being chief judge, overseer of the king's records, bearer of the royal seal, chief of all the king's work, supervisor of that which heaven brings, and supervisor of everything in this entire land. He is also the treasury and leader of the army and navy and agriculture and the general executive, which is all included in his role as advisor. 
The independent researcher, Annie, she goes into the names, and I think this is pretty interesting. She says, although the name Joseph is pronounced Yosef in modern Israeli Hebrew, it wasn't always so. There is a form of Hebrew called Tiberian, considered to go back to at least the second temple times, in which Joseph is pronounced Yehosep. Tiberian Hebrew takes its name from the Jewish community of Tiberians and is the oldest form of pronunciation that scholars know today. Now, the phonic similarities between Yehosep and Emotep is striking, especially considering that we do not know with certainty how either name is actually pronounced 370,000 years ago. A further similarity of the two names is that an original spelling of Joseph is, I'm going to spell it out for you, I-H-O-S-E-P. Very similar to how Imhotep is spelled. Imhotep is I-M-H-O-T-E-P. And she claims that this could be a misspelling of Joseph. Now, the variant spelling of Imhotep appears in the long inscription of the tomb of the 6th dynasty Wen, who mentions the gates of Imhotep, a place near the coast of the Mediterranean. So this leaves only the S and the T difference between the two names. The Egyptians of Joseph's day may have simply pronounced his name as if it was an Egyptian name, not a Hebrew name. And it would have been an honorable name. Many pharaohs included Hotep in their names, including ones at the beginning of the second dynasty, well before Imhotep was around. But because they originate from unrelated languages, the two names have different meanings. Joseph means let him add, and Imhotep implies he who comes in peace. Now, I thought that was very interesting about the names. Hmm. The idea is that the name was given to him afterwards, that that isn't his original name. So it might assume that he mm. did something that did adding on. The two names are very similar, especially, like she was mentioning, if you mispronounce it or misspell it. But both names mean completely different things. I thought that was very interesting. She goes on to the seven-year famine. This is probably the most compelling part of the two, right? Now, according to the Bible, this famine would be preceded by seven years of abundant harvest and would be followed by the seven years of severe famine. Now, Joseph predicted the famine and advised the pharaoh on what he should do to prepare for it. Now, if we look at the famine stella stone near the Elephanti Island in the Nile River in South Egypt, there is a description of Imhotep and his part in advising his pharaoh, Djoser, about the seven-year famine. Now, it clearly supports Imhotep as Joseph, despite the fact that the specifications are slightly different, it would actually appear to relate to the same famine. Now, they were both quite wise men. In the biblical account, the pharaoh praised Joseph for his discretion and wisdom. Now, Imhotep had his reputation. For instance, his wisdom had such a lasting influence on his people that it would last for many decades. Both Joseph and Imhotep were therefore considered to be the wisest men in the kingdom. Now, that's not the only similarities. They were both seers. Joseph had predicted dreams while living with his family in Canaan. 
He predicted the fates of the chief butler and chief baker in Egypt and the seven year of plenty and the seven years of famine. Emotep, he was renowned in his own region as the greatest seer and held this title for quite a long time. Now, the last bit of evidence that she gives us is their age. Now, Joseph lived to be 110 years old. Additionally, 110 was frequently mentioned in the manuscripts and was thought to be the ideal lifespan throughout ancient Egypt's history. Since no religious writings or manuscripts mentioning Imhotep's age at his death, there is, however, an early mention of 110 that could be dated to Isosi, the second to last pharaoh of the 5th dynasty, thanks to a set of wisdom precedes the instructions of that pharaoh mentions an elderly visor who states to be about 110 years old at his death and they do think that that was mentioning Emotep. so that was her research and i thought her research was actually pretty great i'm going to go through some similarities between joseph and Emotep from this other source Alrighty. Imhotep from Egyptian records. Imhotep is appointed administrator by Pharaoh Djoser during the period of the seven-year famine and the seven years of bountiful harvest, minister to the king of Lower Egypt. Joseph is appointed administrator to the Pharaoh for seven years of bountiful harvest and then of the famine. The Pharaoh made him ruler over all of the land of Egypt. Imhotep, administrator of the great palace not of royal blood but attained position by ability for joseph it says thou shall be over my house from another nation and religion not of royal blood granted position by ability and appointed well after the pharaoh ruled egypt very similar there emotep from egyptian records is listed as a builder and architect Imhotep had a great medical skill, was compared to the Greek god of healing, and Joseph from the Bible is noted as had doctors under his authority worked by miracles, dreams, and signs from God. Well, there is one thing that I wanted to mention that I've okay. discovered in researching about Egypt in a totally different thing that I'm going off of memory from something that happened that I studied over a year ago. I was listening to this presentation of a Jewish historian who was looking into the validity of there being a Moses character. And are you familiar with Moses, the story of Moses leaving Egypt, Eric? Vaguely. So he's leading the Israelites out of Egypt, and there's these plagues and famines and these curses that he's calling down from heaven against Egypt, and there's seven of them or something like that. So this guy was looking for historical evidence of there being a fella like this Moses guy that he could find in the Egyptian records. And he found that there was a person who did go by that name, but that was kind of like a Robin Hood figure who was doing the a rebellion of sorts. He was also going back and looking at ancient Hebrew names and that sort of thing. And he was saying there's a lot of Egyptian names that keep coming up that are passed down from generation to generation. So he says that there is a highly likelihood that there was someone who did rebel against 
against Egypt and then leave Egypt and go to Palestine. And that there's Egyptian names that have passed down through the generations from that. But he thinks that there's less people that left than what is mentioned in the Bible, but he says it's highly likely that there is some validity behind the story. I just thought that was interesting because you were going into Joseph maybe being an Egyptian name, and I believe that that would fit in with what this other academic scholar concluded is that there's a lot of Egyptian names in Jewish history. Hmm, that is interesting. There are other figures in biblical history that have been considered to be maybe the same person in Egyptian history, so this will likely not be the only episode we do on this. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. What would you say if I told you that all the religions in the world all stem from one story? I would not be that surprised. Throughout a lot of religions, there are all these similarities, and one of them tends to be that there is a sun god whose mother is a lesser, but still a deity, but a lesser deity. And there's many different variations of this. So the story goes, there was this fella named Kush and his wife. This Kush guy claims to be a god, a deity. And then there is a rebellion within his kingdom. And this guy rises up against Kush and kills him, dismembers him, and sends all these different parts of him to all over the kingdom and says, this guy's clearly not a deity. He's a human just like the rest of us. See, here's his foot, here's his arm. And having sent these body parts everywhere, he's trying to prove that, that he's died. So the mother of his wife decides that she wants to remain in power. So she marries her son and gets pregnant by him, the son being Nimrod, and gives birth to a fellow who she says was her first husband and this child that is called Tamas. So what it is, is she's saying that the sun god's been reborn as her child. So her first husband is dead. Then she has child by her son, who she says is the reincarnation of her first husband, her second husband being her child. So that is the beginning mythology, the, the first religion, if you will. Then from that, all these other ones branch out from that. So in the first part of this podcast, we were talking about how there's all these different groups that were known in Egypt, but then made their way into this Jewish mythology like uh, Moses and Joseph. But then there's this other idea that, are you familiar, Eric, with the god Horus in Egypt? Oh yeah, sun god. Yes, he's the sun god, but he's not the only sun god. There's also Ra, 
Right. He is the sun god as well. But Horus is the new sun god. And in Egyptian mythology, there is this woman known as Isis, who is the moon god. And she, in different different stories in Egyptian mythology, sometimes she's the husband of Ra, sometimes she's the mother of Horus, and sometimes she is the wife of Horus. And that Horus is considered to be new reborn son. So, if you're tracking, it is almost exactly the same as this uh, Nimrod and Kush. And you'll start to see this pattern over and over again on all these religions that you go to. So next up, Taoism. So it's an Eastern religion that I believe started in India, but I, I mean, don't quote me on that one. I don't even know if anyone actually knows where it comes from, but it was before Buddhism. But in it, there's all these different deities, but they're not very well known of because deities were not emphasized all that much in the current day Eastern religion. That's seemed to have faded out over the years. But if you go back in antiquity, you will find that there was a much greater emphasis on deities in the early days, probably sometime BC in the Orient. So you'll find these deities are still known of, but there's not a lot of emphasis on them. But maybe you've heard of this one. Have you heard of the Jade Emperor, Eric? Don't believe I have, no. This is a name that appears a lot in fiction, but you know, it's, it's kind of like loki in the marvel series you hear this sure. name that's thrown about a lot but the actual story behind him is not well known so the deities in daoism there's i believe the jade of purity who's called the lord of primordial beginning and then there's the lord of numerous treasures and the lord of the way and its virtue but the jade emperor is separate from all of them and his mother is also a deity and i could not find a whole lot of information on her in the short time that I was looking into that. But he does have a mother and she's called the Mother of the West. I'm sure that you could find a lot of information if you looked into her more, but I was more interested in the Jade Emperor. So the Jade Emperor has many duties. If you go back and you read the old mythology, one of them is that he will go in and inspect households for purity. He'll go from house to house and those who are found pure will be blessed and those who are found lacking will be punished. So when the holiday comes in the ancient traditions, when the Jade Emperor would come for inspection, they would leave food and incense out for him. So we have this Santa Claus figure, almost. He goes from house to house, and you give him food and cookies, and he tells you who's been naughty and nice. In Buddhism, it's the same thing. If you go back and you look at Buddhism, is centered around the Buddha. And if you go back and you read the story of the Buddha, in Buddhism, they don't talk a lot about deities. You have to go way back into the history of Buddhism to start finding mentions of these deities. But they're actually tied in very closely to the origins of the, the Buddha, the current Buddha. The current Buddha, there's a lot of deities who will talk to him and push him this way and that way and lead him. I believe that the story is when he is born, because in Buddhism there's reincarnation, and he's been moving towards becoming a Buddha for a long time, and he's going, getting close to the awakened state, and when he's born and they know that the deities know that this is going to be the time where he, this is the life that he's going to become the Buddha, they tell his parents, this guy will be very important he's born into royalty because of that they hide him away inside of their buddhist castle 
And then one day he decides that he wants to go out of the castle and he goes out and he sees sickness and death and hunger. And he's surprised by all these things because he's been sheltered from even the idea of death. And he realizes that he will die. And he goes, wait a minute. I will die and my wife will die and my children will die. And he decides that that's terrible and that he needs to do something about it. And then he finds this guy meditating. And the guy says, well, his guy tells him that this man who's meditating is trying to find a way as well. So he goes out and he tries to find a cure to everything. And then that's when he becomes a Buddha. When he goes out of the, you know, he leaves behind his royal life and goes into the meditating and the fasting and all of that. There is a demon that comes along and tempts him while he's in the wilderness. Does that sound familiar? Sounds a lot like when Satan was tempting Jesus. Yes, so I'm just bringing up that little thing. And so you can find a lot of these similarities that go along. And also he is the reborn, the the reincarnate, as it were. Kind of like the resurrected? As things progress, they kind of branch out a little differently. The not as old religions like the Greek and then the Romans after them. You can clearly see how the Romans copied the Greeks. But the Greeks also, their biggest deities was Jupiter. But then after Jupiter, it was the sun god Apollo. So you can kind of see the, the mirroring between them and then the father to the sun god how those two are the the big powerful ones and then there's a third that would play in there which would be the the moon goddess diana i think those are the roman names that i'm using not the greek ones but you know corresponding i think that the the greek ones would be um zeus have you heard of the Roman god Sol? He's the sun god, a second sun god of the Roman. So that one was kind of a, a cult-like thing. And he was tied closely with Mithras, who it was a Persian deity who was brought back from the Middle East. And they're typically portrayed with this sun halo behind them. So you'll have their picture on like a, a coin, where they'll have the deities on the coin, and then there'll be like the sun behind them. There was a later occult that formed around the sun god there so you can see that the sun god was always very important to the the ancient ones so then that brings us to christianity there obviously there's two different ways that you can take this but one of them being that there is the mother of god which would be the mother of jesus which would be mary the virgin mm -hmm. that they call call her the virgin right? mary yes and then there's jesus and then he's reborn and then he dies and then gets reborn but there's a few interesting things that you may not know about this that seems to have been covered up have you heard in the bible character called mary magdalene yeah and she was one of Jesus's most faithful followers. Yes. And they say perhaps a disciple equal to the 12 disciples. But have you heard the theory that she could perhaps have been Jesus's wife? Now, one of the earliest manuscripts, Pyrrhus manuscripts that they have found of the Bible, appears to be edited around Mary of Magdalene. And people say that what they're trying to do is bring down the importance that Mary Magdalene played into the Bible. So I think the story... Uh, a lot of people say about Mary Magdalene she was a prostitute and then she met Jesus and then she became one of his disciples and stopped being a prostitute and then if you go to the idea that she was his wife they were married and then after he died then she went on with her regular thing but the idea is that she was separate from Mary the Virgin but there's been this manuscript where there's this fella Lazarus who dies and then Jesus comes and resurrects him at one point but Mary, I think, believe he's the brother of Mary Magdalene, but 
in this ancient manuscript, you can tell that the name has been changed from Mary to Martha at one point, where it's removing, deliberately removing Mary of Magdalene and, and putting it as somebody who is Martha, who wouldn't have been there in the original copy. And then if you go down later on, it says it scratches out a part and goes to the sisters because there was a, another woman that was involved. So the idea is that Lazarus is known, I believe, to also have been a relative of Jesus. But this would also mean that if Mary of Magdalene was there instead of Martha, and Martha was an invented character, that would mean that, that Mary of Magdalene was also a relative of Jesus and of Lazarus, that all three of them related. Interesting. And if you go a step further, you would find that Mary Magdalene would be the wife of Jesus. The mother would also have been the Virgin Mary. So that Mary Magdalene and Mary the Virgin would be the same person. It's kind of creepy. and wife. And then you add in the fact, where would Jesus' father have been? There was a fella who was going to marry the Virgin, but he found out she was pregnant, and then he said he wasn't going to, but then an angel appears to him and says, marry her anyway, and then he does, and then you never hear of him again. The theory would be, is if Mary, the Virgin, is Mary Magdalene, and is the mother and wife of Jesus, that would mean that he is dead, that Joseph is dead, which would be like Nimrod. So it's interesting that you can find the tamperings that seem to be changing him, uh, changing Martha into somebody who is not related to Jesus, not married to Jesus, and not his mother either. That all of these Marys in the Bible are somehow different. Hmm. Did so you there- perhaps find any evidence or anything like that in their manuscripts that maybe also suggested that Jesus had his own children with Mary Magdalene? No, I actually hadn't thought of that, but there would be a child too that would have been after Jesus died then i don't know yeah i didn't i didn't see anything about that because in the biblical accounts jesus had younger siblings yeah so i wonder if maybe that is actually his children perhaps Hmm. now that i wouldn't know there is one other thing that i have yet to mention that's a similarity that runs between them and that is the idea of the other lessers because, you know, this is the main theme, the father, the, the mother, and the son, right? But there's also the idea that 12 appears all the time. There's the 12 zodiacs in the Eastern religions. And the 12 zodiacs, if you go way back in time, were not actually symbols. They're actually living people, deities themselves. And then you can find that there's the 12 disciples and then there's the 12 deities that sit in Olympus. So 12 comes up quite a bit. And then as things progress, it's just like the cultures change and swap things around and just take the same story and put a new front on it. Kind of like a spaghetti western of some kind. Same story, different location. But there is another alternative to this one, I suppose. And that is that a lot of Christians who are not Catholics put forward because they say that, you know, the Catholic one is just the perversion of the the Christian religion. And then there is, so there's the Catholics and then there's, I guess, the Protestants. And the Protestants are the ones who don't worship Mary and don't worship the saints 
and all of these other ones, which would be the twelve. Because the, there's the the veneration of the saints, as they call it, which is practically worship in and of itself. This is just the surface of the theory. I wanted to try and boil all of this stuff together because I've never heard anyone put all of these things together. Where they're talking about, you know, the Jade Emperor and these Eastern ones. I I had never heard of this, and I was you know digging into it, and then I found this one fella who he mentioned this thing. I was like, hey, that's kind of sounds like what I'm looking for, and then I ran across the Buddhist thing, and I was like, hold on a second, that sounds like the story of Jesus, the temptation in the wilderness. And then the um, Santa Claus. Yeah, the Santa Claus one, it is interesting because you find that cropping up somewhere else. It reminds me of the story of Little Red Riding Hood. Sure. But that story is actually all across the uh, old hemisphere. You can find that story where it's the wolf that is eating the grandmother in Little Red Riding Hood in Europe, but in Asia, it's a tiger. But you can tell that it's the same story because it follows the same plot lines, but it also will have the exact same poetry in it, where Little Red Riding Hood says, well, what big ears you have, what big teeth you have, and that sort of thing. That appears also in both versions of the story, so it's kind of like the Santa Claus thing is the same thing with the uh, Jade Emperor, and then you have the uh, Nordic things. It's just very coincidental. Very coincidental. Not to mention, there's probably every religion has their own flood version of the story as well. Yeah, yeah, that's and that's another big one. But the, you'll also find that there's very big differences between them by region. So you can see in the eastern part, in the modern day, they do not put emphasis on deities very much at all. One of the deities that I mentioned for Daoism, one of the deities I mentioned was the Lord of the Way and its virtue. Well, the Way is kind of a ambiguous... It's something that it's hard to understand. You, you have to spend like half an hour understanding what they mean by the way it's that thing that whenever you hear someone in like a kung fu movie saying you must be like water do not you know hit the rock flow around the rock you know that kind of thing you got to be at harmony with the, the nature when you get in harmony then everything will be easy you've got to find your little rhythm there you know you won't have there will be no effort anymore kind of a thing so that's the way so it has its own cultural change there where you can see how it's kind of like a a spectrum where it slowly starts fading and changing into something different but as you go back along the past of history you can see all the subtle changes yeah the various different interpretations by each region and how things seem distinct and different today but if you go back you can go well when you start trying to find the border between the two it starts getting fuzzy like one of those color spectrums where it goes red to orange to yellow to blue to you try and find on that spectrum we go oh this is the clear line it becomes very difficult one more little fact i wanted to touch on and that is the the sun halo if you go and look at a lot of the early christian art of jesus you will find that there is a sun halo behind him and that there's one on a lot of the disciples as well and this is the way that the um the romans would portray their deities as well is they would put like a little drawing of a sun behind it have you heard anyone ever complaining about the paintings of jesus and how they're too white yeah sure so the 
reason why they are white, even though they were drawn by a lot of people from the Middle East, is they were deliberately copying Roman artwork. Yeah, a lot of how we see Jesus today was Romanized. Uh, his name is Romanized. Mm -hmm. But it was, and, you know, nobody knows his the exact name he went by. Everyone speculates, well, it's probably Yeshua or Yeshua. Mm -hmm. And that could be it. But we do know that the Romans called him Jesus. So, But it, it's just interesting to me that even back in the day, if you had a person who was walking around claiming to be a deity and they were to get their self-portrait done, like a painting, they would have them paint, they would specifically asked to be painted to look like a Roman because that is how everyone painted deities back in the day because that's how the Romans did it and you were in Rome and then that's just that was what was in style at the time kind of interesting but that Jesus was painted with that sun behind his head kind of also points towards the the idea that perhaps he's associated with the sun god and also another thing that maybe uh, I couldn't find any evidence for it but I think it's kind of interesting how the word sun being the thing in the middle of the the uh, solar system that we orbit around is also the same pronunciation we use to say distinguish a child of a male child. A son and a son are exactly the same. All right, and that will conclude today's episode. Thank you so much for listening. If you haven't already, consider being a Patreon member. For just $1 a month, you get totally ad-free episodes. You get them early, and you get an extra episode every month. Only on Patreon. That's patreon.com slash bizarre conspiracies or click the link in the description. Thank you again, and as always, we will catch you in the next episode.